If you have your Bibles this morning, um, go with me to, uh, let's see here, the book of Numbers chapter 21. Can everybody hear me okay? Okay. Numbers chapter 21. Father, we just thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you for your life that's in this place today, Lord. Just from the very outset, Lord, as we worshiped you this morning and praised you, your presence came in. It's, it's here to stay in this place, Lord, and affect everybody and affect all the listeners. Those that are here, those are uh, also listening by way of the uh, conference call. Father, may your blessing be upon them in a great way today, Lord, in a great measure. And you're the great burden bearer, and you lift burdens. And I ask you to lift us up today, Father, in Jesus' name. And all that agreed said, we have been talking um, for... This is actually week number four. It's hard to believe, but it's week number four. And our, the name of our series we've entitled this is called Determined to Win. Determined to Win. It's not just win, but the determination to win. And I like what Brother Glenn was, was sharing there. There's a determination in his heart. Hallelujah. You have to understand a lot of times people may not understand faith, but they'll see the results. They may laugh at you. They may say, who does he think he is, you know? Well, it's not who we are. It's who God is. We're bragging on God, amen? And so we're talking about being determined to win. And the first key that we talked about, and I'll just mention it, was uh, found in Mark chapter 11, verse 22, where Jesus said this statement, you've heard it before, have faith in God. That's four words, have faith in God, Amen. And it's just very important if we're going to be determined to win in life, we have a Savior. His name is Jesus. And He doesn't just save us from our sins. He's still a Savior. He still saves from other things other than your sins. That's the beginning. But there's other things that He saves us from. But we have to be determined to cling to this verse no matter what's going on in our lives, no matter what's going on around us, no matter what's going on in our country or whatever the case may be, big or small, Jesus said, have faith in God. And I think that's the reason that a lot of people go nuts and go crazy is because they don't have faith in God. They have faith in their bank account. They have faith in this or that. Amen. And the Bible even says in the book of Psalms, it's better to put your trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It goes on to say it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes, or we would say leaders or presidents. So our trust has to always be in God. Amen. And I think that that's something that we need to practice on a daily basis. When we get up in the morning, we roll out of bed, you know. And the first thing I try to do is say, Father, I trust you today. I trust you before anything happens, before there's any phone calls, before there's any business, before there's any dealings in the natural. Father, I trust you today. That's another way of saying, have faith in God. Hallelujah. And I, you know, like I said before, kind of jokingly sometimes that, you know, uh, and I, I was sharing this with somebody, you know, when was the last time you thought about your spare tire? I told this to a, la a lady that I work with that I led her to the Lord uh, a few months ago, you know. And uh, she goes, well, I don't know. I go, well, when's the last time you thought about your spare tire? She goes, I guess when I get a flat. And I told her, I'm kind of spoon-feeding her, you know what I'm saying? She's an older lady. And I kind of spoon-feeding her. I said, uh, 
I said, well, a lot of times people treat God like a spare tire. And the only time you think about God is when your back's up against the wall. Amen? Now, thank God for His love and His mercy. He'll come through and help people. But I think it's just better to look to the Lord every single day. Before there's a problem, before there's something that's broken down, before there's a relationship problem, before there's a financial problem, we trust the Lord. We trust Him. Amen? Now, it's better to trust the Lord. Now, if it wasn't better, then uh, God's just wasting His Word. But He said it's better to trust in the Lord. That means it's going to work out. Now, we may not always have the answer right away. We may not know how, that's, how it's going to work out. But I was reminded this morning by the Holy Spirit of Proverbs 3, 5. You know the scripture. You know, um, it says, trust in the Lord with how much of your heart? All of your heart. That's your spirit. Lean not to your understanding. That's your soul. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. It goes on to say, Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Depart from evil. For it shall be health to thy navel and mar to thy bones. Amen. That means good stuff. Because out of your bone marrow comes the health that springs forth. But I love it because it says, In all your ways acknowledge Him. Acknowledge Him. In all of your ways. You're getting in the car. Acknowledge Him. You're taking a trip. Acknowledge Him. You're going to meet with family. Acknowledge Him. Just getting God involved and I know the Lord prompted my heart many, many years ago. He said, you know, because sometimes in our natural way of thinking, we think that we only should get God involved in the big areas of our life. You know, something drastic happens. You know, we need God, you know. But the Lord was showing me years ago, I want to get involved in every single aspect of your life. He wants to be Lord over every single area of our lives. And that's, that is not bondage. That is true liberty. Hallelujah. To have Him involved in everything instead of trying to do it ourselves. How many times do we try to do things in our own strength and we just run out? We run out of strength. I have. I can lift both arms and both legs. I'm not going to try, but you get the point. How many times have we leaned to our own understanding, try to figure things out, right? Well, I'm an analytical person, Brother Keith. Well, got to get over that. It's okay to have a sharp mind and intelligent mind, but don't let that get in the way of trusting the Lord with what you need. Amen? It's so important that we trust Him. And so this st statement here, Mark eleven twenty two, 22, is our first key to being determined to win is have faith in God. Can we say it? Have faith in God. And um, some of the greatest sermons you'll ever hear are the ones that you preach to yourself. Well, preach to yourself. Before I was even, when I was, you know, stepping into the ministry and so forth, you know, I began to step out on the water by myself, you know, and I began to, I would proclaim a scripture. I was in my truck that I was driving at that time, you know, where, with the company that I worked for, and I would say something out loud. And I was like, wow, that ministered to me. But it was like new territory for me. I wasn't used to doing that. Then I got to the point where I looked in the mirror and I, I would preach to myself and I would say something. So you can actually preach to yourself. That's what David did when he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. When all, when everything was just collapsing around him, he had a, his friends turned on him. They wanted to stone him. This, his, their wives and their children and their houses were all stolen from the enemy. And nobody, they, his own people, David's own people, wanted to turn on him and stone him because they got so discouraged. But the Bible says, David went and encouraged himself in the Lord his God. 
Well, I don't know that any of us have ever had it as hard as David did like that. But the principle is still true. Now, understand this. David's operating under the old, old covenant. He's under the old. We're under the new. Scripture tells us that we have a better covenant established upon better promises. Hebrew 8, 6, you know. God, the God, God's presence would come upon David, but it wasn't in him. Nobody had the Holy Spirit in them until after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's when the new covenant started. Jesus shot up out of the grave on the day of Pentecost, sent the Holy Ghost, hallelujah. And now the same Spirit that was in Jesus is now living on the inside of us. So if, if David could encourage himself under the old covenant, we can encourage ourselves how much more under the new covenant. That's what the scripture says. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. In other words, talk to yourself. Sing to yourself. Amen? You can actually talk your way into victory. Have you ever had a friend that encouraged you out of depression into victory? Okay. I, I want to be one of those people. I want to be a rescuer. I'm not talking about the cartoons. Okay, But I want to be a rescuer. I want to be able to rescue people from any type of sadness or depression, even if it's minute. I want to be able to be a rescuer to pull people out like Jesus pulled Peter out of the water as he was sinking. And the Lord can do that if we're encouraged first. Scripture tells us to love one another even as you are loved, right? Or love, husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church. Well, you can't love other people until you know that you're loved. You can't give away what you don't have. Anyway, let's move right along here. So the first thing we talked about is this statement here, to be determined to win is have faith in God. Well, what about the economy? Have faith in God. What about my body? It's been talking to me. Amen? Talk back to it. Remember, you know, Apostle Paul, he said, what should we say to these things. He was talking about persecution, tribulation, peril, sword, infirmities. He said, what shall we say to these things? Here's what you're supposed to say. If God be for us, who can be against us? He says, we're supposed to say to these things, talk to these things. Now, we often think of just words of communication, talking with one another. That's only part of it. That is also the way that faith is released. We talk. Say, leg, you line up with the Word of God. Knee, you line up with the Word of God. And back, you line up with the Word of God in Jesus' name. If God be for me, this can't be against me. Okay? Now, your carnal mind will try to fight you with that at first because you'll think, that just seems a little radical. I'm talking to my knee. I'm talking to my back. Well, Jesus said, talk to the mountain. Amen. See, people that, don't, that are not taught these things think that's crazy. But listen, if God be for us, who can be against us? Praise God. So we need to, to be able to talk. That's another subject, but I thought I'd just throw that in there. We need to be able to speak, speak, speak. To the mountain, speak to the problem. You know, a mountain to a Jewish person is anything that stood between them and the promise of God. And Jesus said, We're supposed to speak to the mountains. Amen? So your mouth is given to you not just to communicate with one another, but it's also an avenue whereby we can release faith in our God. That's what Paul said if 
what shall we say to these things? The things that he was talking about in Romans was persecution, peril, sword, in other words, tribulations, situations, infirmities. What are we going to say to these things? Oh, it's just getting worse. No, we look at those things and we say, if God be for me, that can't be against me. You've got a pain that comes against your body. You have a sickness that comes against your body. You say, no, if God be for me, that can't be against me. Hallelujah. Now, praise the Lord. Let's move right along here. The second thing that we talked about when it came to being determined to win is that we have to keep our eyes on Jesus, the living word. Keep our eyes on Jesus, the living word. And I made mention of the fact, and I'll say this again, you know, and because this is how we learn as we repeat certain things. You know, we reiterate certain things. And here's something the Lord showed me a number of years ago, and I wrote it down, I'll never forget it. He said, anything, anybody that ever, ever accomplished anything that we read about in the Word of God had to be determined. They had obstacles. Just stop and think about it. Did David have obstacles? The lion, the bear, Goliath, the Philistines. So he had, he had all these different obstacles, right? But, you know, we know David by what he overcame. Okay? Most people think of David. Oh, yeah, Goliath. Most people that you ask on the street, what do you know about David? Oh, he's the guy that faced that giant, Goliath, right? Amen. He faced Goliath. What do we know about David? What do we know about Moses? Who he overcame, right? Pharaoh, Egypt, 400 years of bondage. Amen. Hallelujah. And so the list can go on. I can name everybody, but anybody in the Bible that we read about that ever accomplished anything had obstacles to overcome. Amen. But the thing is, like Joyce Meyer used to say, a lot of people have the monies instead of a testimony. You know what that means, right? People complain and bellyache about things, but instead of letting that money stay, just turn it into a testimony. <laughs> I mean, this came against me, that came against me. Now I've got a testimony because Christ delivered me from those things. I look back, I was blessed by what Brother Glenn shared this morning. I look back even in my own life because I know me better than anybody else. I think about all the different times God has delivered me to. I shouldn't even be here right now. Amen. I remember the time that I almost died in a, in a, um, in a uh, um, rafting accident. You know, a dimple rock up at Ohio Powell. You know what I'm saying? And I couldn't get up out of the water. And I was in a private ducky raft, which is for experienced people. I wasn't experienced. Okay? And, uh, and yet God delivered me. God pulled me up out of the water, supernatural. I believe an angel delivered me. Amen. And I could just go on and on and on. And all the times that God delivered me because I'm not, I'm not finished with my race. I'm not finished with my course. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now, the second thing we talked about here is keeping, uh, to stay determined, is to keep our eyes on Jesus, the living word. Keep our eyes on Jesus. Now, uh, I had you go to Numbers, but let's go to... Let's go again to Matthew chapter 14. I feel led of the Lord to go there again. In Matthew chapter 14. 
And the second point here, as far as staying determined, is we keep our eyes on Jesus. I want to show you how to do that. Because people say, well, okay, so I keep my eyes on Jesus, but I don't see him. Where is he? I don't see a, the bearded man with a long robe and sandal, Roman sandals. I don't see him. How can I keep my eyes on Jesus? Well, I'll show you. Amen? In Matthew 14, Jesus instructed his disciples to go before him to the other side of the lake. Okay? Now, I know we read this last week, but let's look at it like it's the first time we're reading this because there's other things that I didn't bring out last week I want to bring out here. Trust in the Lord for revelation here. Now the ship, in verse 24, Now the ship was in the midst of the sea, tossed with the waves, for the wind was contrary. In other words, they had a headwind. There's, they had winds of adversity coming against them. Have you ever felt that way before? Winds of adversity coming against you? In other words, it wasn't going the way that you planned, right? And in the fourth watch of the night, now the fourth watch of the night means between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., it's the darkest time of the night, okay? And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, that's his disciples, walking on the sea. Amen? That's the Sea of Galilee, okay? And now, one thing I do know about the Sea of Galilee, even until this day, because of where it's situated, it's north of Jerusalem. Actually, the, the Sea of Galilee is filled with life and fish and you know, the way God created it too. But the, the outlet that goes from the Sea of Galilee goes all the way down the Jordan River into what we call the Dead Sea. And there's no life in the Dead Sea. Anybody heard of the Dead Sea before? There's more salt. It's the lowest point on planet Earth. Okay? And there's, there's no living creatures in the Sea of the Dead Sea because it has an inlet, but it doesn't have an outlet. That'll preach. It has an inlet, but not an outlet. But the Sea of Galilee has an inlet and an outlet, and it's full of life. In other words, it receives and it gives. It receives and it gives. Amen? But on the Sea of Galilee, because of the way the mountain and the terrain is situated, even until this day, there are certain times of the year that the wind, almost like a tornado, comes down off of the mountains and hits, instantly hits the, the lake, and it creates massive storms. This is the type of storm that Jesus, when His disciples... We're there. It says, In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And his disciples saw him walking on the sea. They were troubled and they said, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. In verse 26. Straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered and said unto them, Lord, if it be you, then bid me to come unto you on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. And when he saw the wind boisterous, he became afraid. Beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately, say immediately. immediately. It means right away, Jesus stretched forth his hand, caught him, and said unto him, Oh, you of little faith, where did you doubt? Okay? Now, there's never been, I think, a better example of looking to Jesus and how that affects our life than this one right here. Okay? Well, first and foremost, we know that when they first saw Jesus, they didn't recognize Him. 
Was it Jesus? Yeah, it was Jesus. But they were so full of fear and so afraid because it's not like every day you see somebody walking on the water. Right? It freaked them out, literally. They were shrieking with fear. And superstition has it that, that you know, fishermen, you know, that they're out in the lake, just like people have superstitions today, that if you saw a spirit on the water, that meant within seconds you're dead. You're going under. And so can you imagine what was going through their minds? <laughs> Maybe we'll see a rerun of this in heaven, but I mean, they were freaking out. They weren't just a little bit afraid. They were sore afraid. They were so filled with fear, like, oh my God, can you imagine freaking out? And Jesus said, be of good cheer. <laughs> That's an interesting response. Right? Look at verse 27. It says, Straightway Jesus spake unto them. That's after they were full of fear. And they said, He said, Be of good cheer. It is I, be not afraid. Now, what? How did the King James, that says a little bit nice, be of good cheer. But actually, it means get excited, get happy. When's the last time when we were in fear and we had that kind of response? Because the devils used to press in our buttons with fear, like, mm, press them, and then fear comes out, like, oh, what am I going to do? You know what I'm saying? But if we have an opposite effect, when the devil puts pressure on us, what comes out of us is thanksgiving and praise, that just goes, he just goes bonkers. The devil goes bonkers because he's not used to that type of response. Okay? Now, all of us are in training, right? All of us are growing. All of us are learning. I am too. Believe me, I have a lot of room to grow. Okay? And I think as long as we're on this earth, you know, even Paul said, I haven't arrived yet. Amen? Even the great apostle Paul. So we're always going to be in a position. We're going to be growing. We're going to be learning. There's always going to be room to grow. And in this particular area, when it comes to our, our trust, what they thought was their worst enemy was actually their answer right before them. They thought they were going to die. But Jesus interrupted their fear. I love this because Jesus will interrupt your fear. When fear is coming against you, that's Satan's only weapon that he has. He has no other weapons other than fear. He is the spirit of fear. But God hasn't given us the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Glory to God. And so we have to ask ourselves what buttons does the enemy press in our lives sometimes? Is it our children? Is it our finances? Is it our health? I mean, the list goes on. And when the devil presses our buttons with pressure and those symptoms that try to come against us, how we respond, like you said, our first response is, Hallelujah, glory be to God. Amen? Praise God. I was talking with someone just this past week, a good friend of mine that's an older gentleman in the Lord, you know, and I was just really encouraged and inspired by what he was saying because he said every time he gets in a bad situation, he said he just begins to praise God. He said, he said man, I had something happen. Just, he said, I've been doing this for years, for years. He goes, something happened bad, you know. And I was like, wow, that did sound pretty bad, you know. He goes, but you know what I just did? I said, oh, thank you, Jesus. I just worship you and thank you. And the thing turned around. Well, the enemy's not used to that type of response. He's used to poking us, and then we're like, oh, we respond in fear. We get a pain or something happens, we respond in fear. But our response should be 
I trust you. I bless you. I thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. And see, when that's the case, why is that so important? Then the devil can't control our emotions. I don't know about you, but I've been there before. I feel like the enemy was controlling my emotions. Things happened, something happened, you know, and I'm like, oh, geez, I failed the test. <laughs> Did you ever feel that way before? I flunked the test. But here's the thing. God doesn't give up on us. Even if you failed and got into unbelief, got in fear, started speaking negative things, you know, God's mercy is still there. It's there for us. So don't condemn yourself. Don't knock yourself over the head and say, oh, my God, I should be further along than this. You know what I mean? I want it so-and-so. They look, you know, Satan has you look at other people sometimes in churches, you know, say they have the perfect family, yeah, but you don't live with them. You don't see what's going on there. You know, it might look from the natural like everything's hunky-dory, everything's perfect, but, you know, there's a devil that's after every household, okay? And that's not to put confidence and faith in the devil. You know what I'm trying to say? I'm just saying, when he comes, what was, what's, what's going to be our response? Okay? And so I was talking to my friend. He said, I just give praise the Lord. I give glory to God at every single time it works out. And I thought, thank you for sharing that with me, you know, because you don't meet many people that are like that. Okay? A lot of people are like, you know, they're looking for the devil to attack them every single day. I'm under attack, brother. I'm under attack. Every day, I'm under attack. First of all, quit saying that. Amen. Why don't you say, I'm under the shadow of the Almighty? That's scriptural. I'm under the shadow of the Almighty. And if the devil shows up, I'm under the shadow. That's, that's pretty close. Amen? It was just the shadow of Peter that got people healed. I mean, that's close by, right? So we're under the shadow of the Almighty God and whose power no foe can withstand. Praise God. And so, you know, he interrupted them and said, uh, It is I, be of good cheer, be not afraid. In other words, get happy. Now, I, when I read that, uh, something clicked on the inside of me that reminded me of the book of James. Hmm. Who was James? He was the half-brother of Jesus. He had the same mother as Jesus, but his father was Joseph, but he grew up in the same household, okay? So you could say he was Jesus' half-brother. He grew up in the same household as Jesus. And, and James, uh, you know, he talks about the power of the tongue, you know? Well, how did he learn that? Growing up with Jesus, okay? Jesus, of course, being the eldest, but they learned from him. And, uh, and he had more to say about the power of the tongue than anybody else, James. For good reason. He grew up in the household of Jesus. Hallelujah. Now I forgot what I was going to say. And the Holy Spirit remind me of that. Thank you, Lord. There was some point I was going to make. Holy Spirit, bring that back to my remembrance, whatever that was right now. Amen. You believe that will happen? Thank you, Lord Jesus. It'll come back. Peter, in answering, said, Lord, if it be you, bid me to come to thee on the water. Well, he's not going to say it's not me. He said, one word, come. One word. So Peter came down out of the ship, walked on the water to go to Jesus. 
And when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, beginning to sink. He cried, said, Lord, save me, save me. And of course, Jesus reached down and grabbed him up out of the water. Praise the Lord. And we have a supernatural deliverance right here for Peter. And, uh, you know, all the other disciples, they didn't, they didn't even put themselves on the limb. People can criticize, preachers could criticize Peter for sinking, but what about the other 11 back in the boat that didn't even try? At least Peter put his neck out there, right? <laughs> Amen? And, and he began to walk on the water. And you can just imagine what's going through his mind at that point. I mean, you're probably overwhelmed, number one. You're like, my God, I'm walking on the water. I was a fisherman before Jesus called me. That never happened before. Are you with me now? And, and, and so he's walking. He's probably kind of shaking a little bit, you know. And, you know, can you imagine the adrenaline that's flowing? Uh, thank you, Holy Spirit. That's what it is. He just brought it back to my remembrance. Jesus said, be of good cheer. Right? James says, my brethren, count it all joy. See, the Holy Spirit brought it back. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, right? Count it all joy. Who's James? Half-brother of Jesus. Grew up in the same household. He had revelation about the tongue being the rudder and the horse bit, right? But he says when you fall into various temptations, when you fall into diverse temptations, diverse temptations, he said count it all joy. Now the Greek actually says, I heard this from Rick Renner, he said it means throw a party. Now, we, 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 we understand about if something good happens, like, glory to God, thank you, Lord. And that's good. That's a good response. But what about before it happens? How about throwing a party before it? Why are you throwing a party? Well, I'm thanking God for what he's going to, going to do. Amen. Praise the Lord. Count it all joy. Jesus said this, be of good cheer. Get happy. Hallelujah. Now your mind, our minds, our carnal minds have a hard time with that sometimes because we want to see it first and then we go, ah, oh, now I can praise the Lord. Now I can take a big breath. But the, the, the biblical response is different from the natural response. The Bible says that the carnal mind is at enmity with God. It's an enemy of God, the carnal mind. What's that mean? The carnal mind is governed by what it sees, what it hears, what it feels, what it smells like, and what it tastes like. The five senses. Faith is not governed by any of the five senses. It's governed by the Word of God. Amen. Amen? If I get up in the morning and I say, Body, how are you feeling today? Well, I got a little pain there. I got a little stomach ache there. If I ask my body. But if I go to the Word of God, who's a person, if I go, Body, how do I feel today? It's going to say, By my stripes you are healed. By my stripes you were healed. 2,000 years ago. So that's going outside the five physical senses right into the person. Jesus is the Word. Amen? Some, sometimes, you know, we mean well, but we say to someone, say, how are you feeling, sweetheart? That's a loaded question sometimes. How are you feeling? Because you're asking a testimony of the flesh. Okay? And at the current moment, they may not be feeling good. 
So what do we do? We testify the bad stuff that's happening, or we say, "I just thank God He's working in my body today." That's a better response. He's working in my body. He's working in my brain. He's working in my family. He's working in my finances. He's working double time on my family members. Amen. Hallelujah! And so uh, I think we've made it harder than it really is, but we can get back. Faith is childlike. Childlike. Faith is just taking God at His word, saying, you know what, Lord, your word says it. I believe it. I'm going to throw a party right now. You know, that pleases God. That's the kind of faith that pleases God. Jesus told Thomas, you know, what do we always hear in reference to Thomas? Doubting Thomas, right? He didn't stay like that. He became a powerful apostle. Peter was initially called Reed, you know? Simon was his name until Jesus changed it. Simon means reed. In other words, the wind blows, and so it goes like sawgrass, you know? When he first met Peter in John chapter 1, he says, Thou art Simon, thou shalt be Peter, rock. Read it in John chapter 1. He changed his name. From reed to rock. He had to change his image. That's what happened to Abram. Abram, Abraham, Sarai, Sarah. Changed their names. Saul, Paul. He had such an encounter with God, it took the S off his name, gave him a P. (laughs) Well, names are important. Right? Because words create pictures. You know, the Hebrew language, I have a real desire to learn that language. There's, I think there's 22 letters in the Hebrew language, and it's pictorial. If you ever see a, you know, just like Chinese in a way, but the Hebrew language is very interesting because every single letter has a numerical number attached to it, but it also, it's all pictorial. It, it's a picture of something. And it reads from right to left instead of left to right. Okay. And when God says something, He wants to create a picture on the inside of us. If I say dog, you don't see D-O-G. You see a, a little thing with four legs. And if I get descriptive, I say, I say okay, medium-sized dog, chocolate brown, long tail, short hair, brown. Then that gives a more, it depicts, in other words, you have a better, clear picture. If I just say dog, it could be big, small, short, long. <laughs> Amen? But the more words you use, the more it becomes, the, it's like putting color on the paint and you start adding to it. Okay? It's kind of like sometimes I'll see people that are artists, you know. That's one gift I do not have. Okay? Like Sister Patty, she's an artist, you know, and other people here. And, you know, that comes natural for people like that. They're like, they, I'm like, how did you do that? I can barely draw a stick figure. You know, hangman. You know what I'm saying? And it just amazes me, like, you know, and, and, but when you first see somebody painting something, like, or, you know, sculpting something, you're like, how's that going to turn out? You know, but then as you sit there, oh, okay, then they add this color, then this dimension of it, and all of a sudden it's a clear picture of what it looks like. Well, the Hebrew language is like that, okay? And when, when James said, count it all joy, was he just mincing words? Amen? When was the last time someone called you up and said, you know, hey, could you pray for me? I'm having some problems with my body right now. 
let's just throw a party right now. You'd be like, what? No, I need a, I have a prayer request. Okay? Now, this, this challenges me too. Okay? Because our natural response sometimes when things happen in our lives is to get all down and dejected and sad and sorrowful and depressed. Like, oh, all this stuff's happening around me. But see, the enemy is sitting there watching us how we respond. Okay? But if we turn the tables on him, and we can, and we respond in a biblical manner, in a biblical fashion, you can slap him in the face and he can turn and run off. Praise God. I've seen that happen. Okay? And Jesus operated that way all the time. It is I. Be not afraid. Be cheerful. Get happy. <laughs> the little girl is not dead. She sleepeth. And they mocked him to scorn. See, he's calling things that be not as though they were. He's seen the end result. Praise the Lord. So, um, you know, it's, this is a challenge, but it's a passable challenge. Okay? The enemy puts pressure on us, puts a little pressure on us with some area in our lives. We, we're used to responding a certain way. What if we flip that whole thing around and say, glory be to God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Just like I was talking about my friend, you know. He said, Keith, I've been doing this for years. He goes, every time something bad happens, I just start praising God. I start thanking God. And I'm talking about a, a gentleman that's been walking with God for 55 years, 60 years. Okay, since he was a child. And I thought, that's an interesting thing. And I thought, as far as I know, he's never, no one ever taught that to him, but he got that from the Word of God. From the Word of God. You know, we can pick off fruit. We should be fruit pickers. We should be able to pick fruit off each other. If there's an area, if there's an area in your life or in any of our lives that's, that's working, that's good, we should be able to glean from that, not get jealous, but to glean from that and say, man, if, if they're doing that, it's working for them, then I'm going to incorporate that in my life too. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just rejoice. Praise the Lord. We rejoice. Amen? Amen? And it, it, it defeats the devil every single time. We just rejoice in the Word of God. Count it all joy, James said. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have a perfect work, that you may be perfect, entire, complete, lacking nothing. Amen. Patience, biblical patience doesn't mean just putting up with. It means to stay steady when pressure is applied. Keep saying what the Word says. Keep rejoicing. Stay in faith. Amen? And by doing so, the enemy will have to leave. He'll have to tuck his tail between his legs and leave. Amen? Amen. Years ago, uh, I, read a, I read a story from Smith Wigglesworth, you know, and he was outside, and he was in the U.K., he was in England, you know, and he said he was out, you know, and his, his goal was to lead someone to the Lord every single day. He said, Lord, show me someone that's close to eternity. You know, and this is back when cars were just invented. It was mostly horse and buggy. You know, he said, "Lord, show me someone that needs you today." And so the Lord would use him. You know, and he said he was out there by a bus stop one time, and he said uh, there was a lady there that was waiting for a bus to come. She was going somewhere, and there was a little puppy dog that was just kind of rubbing up against her ankle. It was her dog, you know, and and I guess she lived pretty close to where the bus stop was, so she would say, "Get back, honey. Get back, honey." Whatever, whatever she said, you know. And, and the more she did that, the more the dog didn't leave, you know. 
So here comes the bus coming around the end, the double-decker bus in the UK, coming around the bend. She realized she's about to get on the bus, but the dog's still there. Well, the dog can't get on the, the, the uh, bus. So she goes, get! And she stomped her foot, and the dog took off. And Wigglesworth was standing there like this with his arms folded. He said, that's the way we need to treat the devil. You ever hear that story before? He said, that's the way we need to treat the devil. We don't just, get away, honey. Get away, devil. Get off of me, devil. He goes, we've got we to put our foot down and say, no, you don't, devil, in the name of Jesus. Get out of here right now. Amen. He understands authority. He understands power. He does not understand passivity. But he understands power. And God will give all of us here anointing and power and conviction, boldness to stand up against the adversity when he comes against us and say, oh, no, you don't, devil. I'm not going to have a bland, boring, dull week. I'm going to have a glorious week ahead of me. I'm prophesying my week ahead of time. I'm not waiting until Monday comes. I'm going to prophesy goodness and mercy are going to flow to me and through me this week. This will be a glorious week. Amen? And of course, your mind will fight you the whole way when you're saying that. But we can work, we can, we can. The, the, I'll, I'll be honest with you, the greatest enemy to the church is not the devil. He's already been defeated. The greatest enemy to the church is the carnal mind. That's a mind that has not been renewed with the Word of God. The greatest need for a sinner is salvation. The greatest need for a Christian is to have their minds renewed with the Word of God. In other words, God's Word in our minds, changing the way we think. Changing the, how many know Jesus thought differently than the disciples? Amen. But He wasn't there to condemn them. He was there to teach them. He was there to show them how to live. Yeah. Right? And that's why after you know, Jesus left the earth and went you know, and, and committed all of His ministry to the disciples... They were there at Antioch called Christians for the first time because they that have turned the world upside down have come hither. <laughs> you know, in other words, Christian, Christ ones, acting just like Christ. And they carried on the ministry of Christ. They you know, got people saved. People were healed. People were delivered. It's all who they were with. It's who they were with. Amen. I was just—I just heard a sermon this week that I'll probably teach on at some point, and I was—it was about David and how that all the people in Samuel and Second Samuel, how that they went initially his—they became his mighty army, but they weren't at first. It said all those that were in debt, those that were discouraged, there was you know those three Ds, you know, <laughs> and they gathered themselves unto David. It looks like the weakest army you can imagine. Did you ever read that before? They were in debt, they were broke, they were busted, they were disgusted, they were just, you know. But, you know, you read on a couple chapters later, those same men became giant killers. One of the guys killed a lion. One of the guys took out 800 Philistines by himself. Well, how did that happen? It's who they were with. Was, was David a giant killer? Yeah. Was he a lion killer? Yeah. Those guys weren't. But when they hung out with someone that had the spirit of faith, that same spirit rubbed off on them. And then all of a sudden they said, you know, we can do this. Amen. Amen. Think about even backing up a little bit when David took out Goliath, you know. His victory wasn't just his victory. 
It became the victory for the entire nation of Israel. That one person that stood up to that lion and that bear when no one saw him except God. And now you can only do that by the power of God. From the natural you can't. Okay? But when David said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who shall defy the armies of the living God? And he stood up to him, you know, and everybody started, his own brothers made fun of him and said, who do you think you are, you little naughty boy? Go back to the desert where you belong and watch those few sheep. They're, they're ridiculing him. But you know the story, you know, he went and faced Goliath. Even Saul tried to put his armor on him, but he said he didn't prove it. It didn't fit him. He said, no, I can't use this because then Saul will get the glory. All he had was a sling. Back in the Old Testament, there was people called slingers, okay? It wasn't just David, but I mean they were accurate. And they say that a real true slinger, when they released a rock at that speed, had more power than an actual flying bullet. Isn't that amazing? I just did some research on that. It had more power than an actual bullet, okay? Well, David had confidence in that. What else are you going to do on the back side of the desert but try you know, other than washing the sheep. I believe David sang to the sheep. I believe God showed me that he sang to his sheep. He got close to the Lord there, and he practiced back there his skills with the uh, slingshot, with the sling. There's no shortage of rocks over there. Isn't that true? And so he's probably picking out a target. Boom, bam, oh yeah, right on, right on. He's out there, and God's homing his skills there. And then when he faced Goliath, man, I'm telling you, when he faced Goliath, he faced him by the power of God. He said, you're coming at me with a sword and a spear, but I'm coming at you in the name of the Lord of hosts. And this day I'm going to take your head off. I'm going to give your carcass to the birds of the air. I'll cut your head off today. That was faith talking. He said it before he did it. He said it. And then he went out, and he did it by the power of God. Cut his, matter of fact, he didn't even have his own sword. He took Goliath's sword. Once he hit him with that stone, it killed him. He took, his own, he took that sword out. And that was a big sword. Okay? And he took that sword, Goliath, and cut his head off. Now, that's pretty gross, isn't it? But you know, when he did that, it sent shockwaves through both camps, the Philistines but in Israel as well. For one, it was bad. The other was good. Now, prior to Goliath's head chopping, <laughs> the Israelites were fearful because Goliath would get up twice a day and, and curse the God of Israel and curse the Israelites and just talk smack to the people, you know. And, um, and it says that they trembled with fear. Their knees were knocking. They were afraid because of this giant of a man that's nearly 11 and a half foot tall. Okay? David, when he stood up to him and he took him out, prior to that, for days on end, for days on end, the Israelites are fearful. That's how the devil, when the devil talks, he puts fear in people. He's a type of the devil. Now stay with me. And uh, when um, David took Goliath, there is a surge of courage that went into the hearts of the Israelites and it instantly affected them by what David did. And they said, <clears throat> and they rose up, adrenaline was flown, and they chased and they went after the Philistines and they chased them for like 20 miles. Praise the Lord. 
but it started with one person. David's victory was not just his victory, it was all of Israel. Jesus' victory is not just for himself. They tell us, this is interesting here, that David took, the Bible tells us that David took Goliath's head and carried it for like 20 miles to Jerusalem and buried it in a hill called Golgotha. Place of the skull. Amen? Goliath's head was buried on Golgotha. Fast forward several, you know, 1,500 years or so, and you got Jesus being nailed to the cross on Golgotha and crushed the head of the serpent, the devil. But he didn't do it for himself. He did it for us. David's victory became Israel's victory. They got in on the spoils. They thought, my God, look at what he did. We can do this. And they, they got a surge of courage and victory went through them. So don't underestimate what one person can do. Your faith in God, your strength in God, your trust in God will affect more than just you. It will affect those around you. Your life will be a testimony. Your life will be a testimony. You won't even have to open your mouth because your life will see. They defeated some giants right there. Amen? Amen? They may laugh at you one, at one, one point, but they'll realize God's with that person. God's with that man. God's with that woman. And when Jesus hung on the cross, he crushed the head of the serpent on Golgotha for the whole world. So, you know, Goliath is a type of the devil. Amen? And when Jesus hung on that tree on hill, Golgotha Hill, he crushed the head of the serpent for you and I. But I say this again. The greatest need for the sinner is to have Jesus, but the greatest need for the church is a mind that's renewed with the Word of God. In other words, thinking like God's Word says. Get into the Word of God. Think like the Bible says. Don't think sickness. Think health. Don't think poverty. Think wealth. Don't think oppression. Think joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Praise the Lord. And I'm out of time here this morning. Amen. Time goes fast when you're having fun. <laughs> Amen. So what you look at, I had some other really good scriptures too, but I don't have time to get into them. We'll pick it up next week. Who we look at, what we look at will determine everything. When it says looking unto Jesus in Hebrews chapter 12, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, that means we have, we're looking to the Word of God. When you look to the Word of God, you're looking to Jesus. He is the Word. Okay? You don't necessarily have to see Him. But you do see Him in the Word of God. Hallelujah. Looking unto Jesus. Say, looking unto Jesus. Who is the author, finisher, and developer of my faith. Praise the Lord. Now as we close here right now, If you've gotten your eyes off of the Lord, we all have from time to time. When Peter got his eyes off Jesus, he began to sink. He didn't just sink. When you jump off a diving board, you don't just begin to sink. 
you're sunk. But in this case, Jesus, referring to Peter, he began to sink. So there was a gradual, he went down gradually under the water. Okay? But it all had to do, it all had to do with what his eyes were looking at. Okay? He was looking at the wind and the waves. Now you can't see the wind, but the wind will create waves, right? And uh, by doing so, he got his eyes off the thing that was, he got his eyes off the thing that was making him walk on the water. And when he looked at the circumstances, he started to go down. Have we all done that before? We got our eyes on the circumstance. We got our eyes on the pressure. We got our eyes on the problem that we're facing. Then we begin to sink. But I'm telling you, if we cling to the Word of God, if we cling to Him and that Word, it's the greatest life preserver that there is. When someone's drowning, they don't care what kind of clothes they have on. They don't care how much money's in the bank. Their only goal is, I want to survive this thing. I don't want to go under. So a life preserver at that point becomes very important to them. They don't care what color it is, how big it is. If it's a life preserver, throw it to me, baby, because I want to come up. I want to, I want to be saved. Okay? Jesus is our preserver. He's the one that lifts us up. He's the one that delivers us and keeps us. When other people are stumbling, the Bible says in Psalm 91, a thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, that's 11,000, but it won't come near you. So don't get, don't get our eyes on the people that have sunk, that have died, that have done this. No, no, no. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000, but it won't come near you. Why? Because your eyes are on Jesus. Your eyes are fixed, trusting in Him. Your heart is established. It shall not be afraid. Our eyes are upon Him. There's a scripture in Psalm 34. It says, They looked unto Him, and they were enlightened, and their faces were not ashamed. We look unto Him. Man, I preached myself happy this morning. Hallelujah. Jesus is Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, I prophesy this is going to be a glorious week. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Did you learn something this morning? Thank you, Lord. You're going to make it. Let, 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 me look, let me lean forward a little bit. Every one of you in this room, you're going to make it. You're going to come out on top, above. The devil's not going to take you out. He's not going to rob from you. He's not going to steal from you. God has your back. He has your back. He's watching out after your family. He's watching out after you. He's watching out after your future. And you don't need to be afraid because God's with you. God's for you. God is in you. If God be for you, nothing can be against you. Praise the name of the Lord Jesus. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Our hands we lift to you, Lord. Because you are Lord. You are good. And you are God. And we bless you right now, Father. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It's not too late. It's not too late, says the Lord. For you might think, oh, so much time has passed. So much water has passed under the bridge, as they say. But know this, it's not too late with me, says the Lord. For there were those in my word that said, don't bother the master anymore. Your little daughter is dead. But what did I say? What did I say? Fear not, only believe. And so put your eyes on me. Put your trust in me. For I'm not looking at your calendar. I'm not looking at your clock. So why should you? 
Look unto me. Put your faith in me. Put your trust in me. And all shall be well in your household. And you'll sleep well at night. You'll lie down and your sleep will be sweet, saith the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Had to give that up. Had to give that up. Thank you, Lord Jesus. 